This is a Baby Brunch podcast. Yes, this is a Baby Brunch podcast for our parenting series and we have had we've had a lot of fun. Also a few tears and we we just want to honor our parents and we want to lend support to moms and and moms to be and to our dads. We have Janine Bull back in our studio. Now, a lot of you have sent us questions around psychology and I'm no expert, so I'll always bring in the experts to help us uh, on our Baby Brunch podcast series. Janine Bull is a clinical psychologist. She's also a life coach. And if you want to get hold of them, uh, you are welcome to go to their website, which is, is it rjbull.com? That's correct. Okay, so rjbull.com, they do courses on mindfulness. It's something that we touched on the last time. Janine, we've had amazing feedback on our Facebook page with regards to mindfulness, moms wanting to to become more conscious about that about that uh, thing that you mentioned where you have to check in with self and say, hello, you know, what am I feeling? We've also had a lot of questions. And I, if you want to listen to the, the mindfulness podcast, it's the previous one that Janine was part of. But in this one, I want to actually address some of the questions that we received. Now, one of the questions I had the last time was, what do we do with this notion of worry as a parent? You know, I, I love being a mom. And when people told me that parenting would be difficult sometimes, what they didn't mention is, is the notion of worry. I think for me, being a parent is, is fairly easy. I can still run after my kids and, and I enjoy being home with them and you know, time is not an issue for me and I have a lot of help. Um, what do you do about worrying? Yeah, worrying, I, I think worrying is common. I think a lot of parents or moms, let's say, could relate to it. And if I reflect on on my experience, it probably has different different angles depending perhaps on the age of the children. So certainly when they were little, the worry was around their well-being because they're so vulnerable and we are very responsible mm. for them when they are so little, their physical well-being. So that can sometimes be quite anxiety-provoking for moms is just keeping their children safe. Then, of course, we do worry. And I think today there's a lot of pressure on parents to be good parents. Mm. We worry about doing the wrong thing or how the children are going to turn out and how will this reflect on us. So we go about almost trying to be good parents, trying to be perfect parents. And what I have found is that it's actually helpful to not try and be a perfect parent because there is something in the process of just allowing life to happen and maybe you do do something wrong, but somehow the, the their development depends also on them learning to work through those things that so-called were mistakes or went wrong. Their growth lies in them working through that process, but also for us to learn from those experiences. And the relationship grows and deepens as we work through our imperfect parenting. I love that. But but it, it a relief because even though everything out there says, you know, be better, be greater, earn more, work harder, you're saying that, okay, there's room for mistakes. Mm, absolutely. And just what what I've found encouraging is to see how much healing can happen after the fact. So we try not to fail as parents, but I've almost feel there's there's no such thing as a failed parent or mm. we don't lose. We can't we can't really be bad because there's always hope in the healing. And I have seen even 
if for, say, 15 years you feel you've really messed up, to just be able to have the humility of having that meaningful conversation with your child where you acknowledge your mistakes and you work forward differently, mm. it just it just lifts it just lifts all that heaviness that you have felt is your your wrongness. Um, and you can experience that actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I was such a bad parent because somehow the love comes out anyway. Mm. And it can be after 15 years, after even 30 years of children that have been in very difficult home lives, there's still that openness to to reconnect, um, to feel that sense that this parent actually does care for me, even though they messed up. So I think there's always there's always hope. Wow, there's always hope. Some of the questions that we received, and I'm just going to go through them as we as we're chatting through this. Um, Mom wrote to me about her teenage son, and she feels disconnected to him because he is doing his own thing. He sometimes wants to go out with his friends, and I think time with mom is becoming less. Now what? <laughs> Your baby is not at home anymore. For sure. I think it is difficult and I can certainly relate to that. Um, at the moment, I have one foot in the empty nest yeah. and one foot still at home. Um, I think it is a time to go towards yourself and then obviously to be aware of what's coming up for yourself in those spaces. Because I think there's always, you know, we, we as parents think that we are the parents and we're going to teach our children, but often our children are teaching us. Mm. So there might be almost a bit of a gem um, of learning in that experience for that mom. So what is this opening up for her and what is her next step going to need, going to be? I had a question on how easy is it to meditate? And I think this touches on our last conversation around mindfulness. Um, I want to add this. I remember growing up, you know, we, we grew up in a very religious home and something like meditation was never something that you would even go towards or learn about because it was considered that you're opening yourself up for all these things out there. What's your experience about meditation? And also coming back to our question, how easy is it to meditate? So I certainly have found in the busyness of life, it's not difficult to stop, step back, find that moment of stillness, notice and be present in the moment, which is to, to a great extent what we were saying mindfulness is about. Perhaps what is tricky is the self-discipline of doing it for an extended period of time every day. Mm. And I think what is important is that we take almost the skills and the training of mindfulness and we make it work for ourselves. So it's not something that has to be like that or like that. Mm. It's something that you you take and you make it fit for you. So possibly your your form would be Every time you get into the car, you take a moment just to focus on your breathing, to come back into your body, to notice what's coming up for yourself. And that works for you because you're in and out the car all day. Mm. Whereas sitting quietly and uninterrupted for 15 minutes doesn't work for you. But perhaps the next person who works in an office can actually take 15 minutes at lunchtime, close the door and be left in peace. So I think it's it becomes difficult when you're trying to do what doesn't fit for you. So it's important to tailor make it for yourself and for your situation, and then it it's more doable. I can't help but think about this because what what happens when you get into the car and you think you are present, but you drive to the wrong location or you drive to your old house 
Or you were supposed to go to the gym, like me, and then you end up at your child's school and you go, oh, but it's not pickup time. What, what, what happens? Mm, for sure. I think it's a good example of how we can get lost in thought or we get lost, lost in lost translation. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Seriously lost. Many respects. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that is that is lost in thought. I suppose mindfulness would be more stepping back and noticing, noticing that we are daydreaming rather than getting lost in the daydream. Mm. Sure. So, yes, you maybe felt you were present, but you were present <laughs> to your thoughts, not to the moment. Big difference, okay. <laughs> lost, lost in your thoughts and mindfulness, two different things. Going back to your questions for our clinical psychologist in our studio, Janine Boo is with us. Why are the first six weeks of parenting always the hardest? So it seems like there's a new parent. Uh, she or he is asking us the question about the first six weeks of parenting and why it's the hardest. So I'm just thinking about from the psychological perspective. I always joke with people and I say to them, when, when my first baby was born, I would fight with my husband only on a Thursday. So on a Thursday, he knew, <laughs> don't be home for too long. Because I was going to fight with you the first six weeks that Thursday. Why is it Why is it so tough right in the beginning? I think having a baby is hugely impactful. There's just so many things that, that are happening. You sort of stop working. Well, for some people, they stop working. They're at home. Um, suddenly, your life is not your own anymore. You're responsible for this little creature. Um, sorry to call it a creature. This lovely <laughs> little baby. it's rather cute. <laughs> So you're suddenly so responsible for somebody else. Um, changes in the marriage. So there are just so many changes. And I think that's probably what makes it difficult is we just have to process so much. I do also find that we are, we manage our vulnerability in day-to-day -day life. But as soon as we have a baby, it seems to open up a lot of vulnerability. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is just the feeling spaces. I think just the process of giving birth will automatically make women more emotional, more vulnerable. Then they with this vulnerable child every day, this um, baby that almost epitomizes vulnerability. Mm. And so having that almost opens up even more vulnerability. So I think to to a great extent, what makes those first six weeks difficult is just the emotional quality of it, the vulnerability and the changes. We are talking psychology. So if you are listening, I mean, there's a lot of great things that parenting brings. We're talking about our questions and we're basically answering them based on what your brain and your mind is doing right? Um, you know what your heart is feeling. We, we, we're just answering them. Can, can a baby save a marriage? You know, it is obviously common knowledge that if you have marital difficulties, having a baby is not going to solve the marital difficulties. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to make life more complicated. But I often feel that as a couple, having problems actually can help us because we have to work together um, find each other. And so working through problems, learning to communicate around problems is often what can encourage closeness between people. Wow. So you're saying problems, okay, I understand. Problems in a relationship is good because it helps us to communicate and literally spend time with our partner to unpack those things and chat through it. For sure. So if we go with the idea of 
<laughs> no pain, no gain. Nobody right. goes out trying to make trouble with their partner. We don't like friction. Mm. We don't like conflict. Yeah. We don't like life difficulties. No. I do understand that. But ultimately, for anybody who looks back, it's those points of intensity, the points of tension where we grow, where we're forced to encounter ourselves, who we really are, the other person, where we're forced into a space to communicate and to express and bring ourselves forward. If it wasn't for the intensity, we wouldn't do that. So there are points of growth, but we don't go looking for them. I do understand that. A question that came to us is, how do I explain to my partner what is happening for me when I'm overwhelmed with my newborn? So it seems like there's a problem communicating of some sort. What would your advice be? I think to understand overwhelmed, again, as I said earlier, it's this idea of vulnerability. Sometimes I see that overwhelmed feeling as almost a state that I can go into. I can recall just a day or two ago, I had the sense where I just suddenly felt everything was too much. Mm. Um, but it, I've almost got used to the fact that it's it's a state. So I can, I can, I literally almost feel small. I feel like I'm younger and I'm mm. too small to handle all these things. Mm. And then you feel underneath all the demands that, that daily life is throwing at you. So, if one is more just accepting that it's a state, it's a transient state, it's not your reality, it's not who you are, it's just an emotional state that's going to come and it will pass. And then you can find that perhaps the next day you will feel better or after speaking about it, you'll feel better. So I think even in communicating to a partner to be able to just name, well, I'm just feeling a bit overwhelmed. I'm feeling in a state at the moment where everything is too much for me. But I know it will pass. Mm. So it, it helps your partner firstly know what's happening. And secondly, if you've almost, you're owning it, you're knowing it, you're saying this is happening for me, but it will be okay. We also had one asking, is going crazy an actual thing? What if you don't feel good? When do I call the doctor and when do I call a friend? Mm, those, so, are, those are important questions. Yeah, so a few you know, things in saying there. them. Yes, yeah. for sure. Is it a real thing? I think anybody who's been a mom yeah. probably will say, of course, <laughs> yes. it's a real thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so sometimes craziness is those moments of intensity mm. where we feel it and sometimes say it, the intensity. I think it's perhaps also important to mention that sometimes extreme stress, the lack of sleep, the increased um, vulnerability that I was talking about will almost do what we will term break down our defenses. Mm. So we all have an unconscious, which is this part of ourselves that has um, sort of passed, well, what is our unconscious? Weird stuff, let's say, in mm. our unconscious. Um, and it comes out in dreams. So our unconscious normally comes to us in dreams. And this is why we often will wake up and think, oh my goodness me, what a strange dream. Yeah. Now, in these situations where we're very stressed or very tired, sometimes that can come forward into our daily life. And so some parents might have thoughts or feelings that are just so weird and they can almost think, sure, that's not me. Mm. And so normally I would say if you have an experience where you think to yourself, sure, this is this is a bit weird, where you're almost a bit worried about yourself, to some extent it is normal. So first off, a little bit of that at, at a time of stress, I would say is normal. If it's happening frequently or it's increasing, so if it's happening daily or many times in a day or it's getting worse over a period of time, 
then I would say the first step is to speak about it. Speak to a partner or speak to a friend. Often it is exacerbated by isolation. Mm. And as people, we have the situation that when we're struggling, we tend to default towards isolation. Right. You want to be alone and not speak to anyone. Yes, we withdraw because we almost feel there's something wrong with us. Now, when we reach out and connect, it has a way of, um, it's comfort to some extent mm -hmm. in the connection, but the speaking it out has a way of dissolving some of that process. So it's helpful to reach out and connect. And for many people, that would then be enough. If it doesn't get better, that's when I would say you perhaps would need to contact a professional. So if you've tried this, the support in the community and it's still increasing, then perhaps the professional is the way to the go. The professional is mm. the way to go. Thank you for your questions. And if you have more, you're welcome to inbox us on our Facebook page. You don't have to post it publicly. Um, these are things that we consider sensitive and confidential. And we're just happy that we can have Janine in our studio talking through it and chatting to us about not just your questions, but about mindfulness. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. And I just want to know, because you touched on something there. Um, is our dreams, is it is it a part of us? Like if you dream something really crazy. Is it, is it something that actually exists for you? Your dreams and dreams interpreting or interpretation, it's very intriguing. So I can hear where you're coming from. I often look at my dreams and think, well, that's interesting. I haven't gone into dreams in much depth, but there is something of us in there. Sometimes the people in our dreams are actually parts of ourselves, so they aren't they aren't people, and that's often how I see it. What what part of me is being represented by this dream? Mm. But there there certainly are books out there that would, could teach us more about dreams, and perhaps that's part of my retirement or my emptiness <laughs> is to explore dreams. It's going to take more. a while. Okay, Janine is really young <laughs> with her four children. So retirement is far away. <laughs> Oh, no, gosh, I'm just thinking of when, when I was pregnant and I know a few of my mommy friends as well, you kind of share your crazy dreams and it just gets weird. Like I, I once dreamed skinning over the bed, there's crocodiles, like just crazy, crazy stuff where you just go, where does that come from? So thanks, Janine, for pointing out that it's actually a part of me in my dream. <laughs> because immediately I think, hmm, who do I want to snap at, you know? <laughs> If you want to get hold of Janine or Robert, our life coaches and clinical psychologists in our studio who are giving all of us advice here on Baby Brunch, uh, it's easy to get hold of them on rjbull.com uh, or you can just reach out. We'll connect you. They do courses on mindfulness and they also consult on a personal level. Janine, I almost don't want to say goodbye. Can't you come back and do more of this? Thanks, Ilana. I'd be happy to. She says calmly. We'll, <laughs> We'll be back. Thanks, Janine. Thank you.